Welcome, friends, to the Professional Writer Podcast. I'm Laura Christensen, your host, and I'm here to help you confidently plan, launch, and grow your writing-related business. You'll find the show notes for today's episode at bloggingbistro.com. Well, one of the things that I love doing on this show is bringing on guests who do a variety of different types of writing. In episode number one of the podcast, I talked about the fact that you don't have to write books in order to be a real writer. There are many, many different types of writing you can do and explore. And so our guest today is very interesting in that she does a slightly different type of writing than you might have thought of before. So I would like to welcome our guest, Emma Fullenweider. Hi, Emma. Hi, Laura. Thanks for inviting me. I have to share with you listeners a, a kind of a funny thing that just happened before Emma and I got, or while Emma and I were getting on the call here today. <laughs> I use a system called Squadcast to record podcast episodes, which is a lot like Zoom, where she and I can see each other on the screen, but it only records the audio. And so Emma came on the screen, but she was upside down, <laughs> hanging yeah. like a bat. <laughs> I'm like a little bat, just popping in to say hi tech difficulties do not stop the podcast. We keep going, right? We muddle on. So Emma, let's talk about your very interesting brand. It's called Life Storian, L-I-F-E-S-T-O-R-I-A-N. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that and the meaning behind it. When I got into this field, the professional association was the Association of Personal Historians. So everyone who did the kind of work that I do, where we're recording people's stories, mostly for posterity, um, not really for publication, but mostly just so that it's saved for the family. They called themselves personal historians. And that that just confused people. I didn't even know that they existed. It was kind of hard to find them in the first place because no one's looking for personal historians. Most people thought that I researched history as a hobby when Mm -hmm. they said personal historian, like a hobby historian. So when that professional association went away, we we all sort of went, well, we can call ourselves, you know, whatever we want to now. So I usually tell people I'm a biographer. It's just a nice general, gives people a general sense of what I do. But life story and came from capturing people's life stories, but also that personal historian background to to the title. So instead of a historian, I'm a life story and. I love it. It's a great mashup of terms, and it really describes what you do. Your work as a biographer is to help preserve history and, you say, and to promote mental health through the therapeutic practice of memoir writing. And you do a lot of classes as well, correct? Yes. So I'm certified in a curriculum called Guided Autobiography. It was developed at USC by gerontologists to help people do this thing that healthy people do where they review their life and they write about it. In studying that process, used to be something that was taken as a sign of senility, that people were losing their minds when they suddenly started talking about grade school and telling the same stories. So they were started studying this to see what it was that was going wrong with people's brains, that they were doing that. And what they found was it's it's actually a stage of development. It's a healthy thing. It's a healthy thing that people do. And so they developed this curriculum that said, well, if we walk people through the steps, will it make an unhealthy brain healthier? And it did. And it's just a really, really fascinating, very nerdy field, this guided autobiography process. And so I'm certified in that. And that is what I teach. 
what got you interested in becoming a biographer? Do you have some past work experience or writing experience that led you specifically into the biographical arena of writing? Well, I am a journalist. Uh, I was trained as a journalist. That's what my degree is in. I went into public relations and I was working for a tourism office. I was putting together a list of ghost towns. We were, were out there in the Mojave Desert and working in tourism in the middle of the desert will really stretch you as a marketer. Who wants to come here? Um, and so I started putting together a list of ghost towns and I called this roadside attraction that popped up in Google as a ghost town. And I said, I just want to make sure your hours are still the same and I have your correct address. And the man who answered the phone said, well, Joe isn't really here right now. And he's the one who leads the tours because this is all built with his memorabilia. Joe's not doing the tours right now. And I said, oh, well, when is he going to come back? And he said, well, he had a stroke. And I just don't know if he's going to come back. And he's like 96 years old. And he remembers the Old West. And I thought, here's this man who's been literally sitting on the side of the road telling his life story to anyone who would pull off the road and listen. And now he's had a stroke and he's not talking. And I said, please tell me that somebody recorded him. Mm-hmm. The guy said, you know, we really should have. And it was just heartbreaking for me. There were instances like that. There were several of them over the years where I felt compelled to save the story because it's so important and it's so fragile. We can lose it so easily. So I'm working in writing. I'm working in P- PR. I'm ghostwriting for blogs. Everyone was excited about the fact that I could write. I was really great at the writing aspect of everything. So I was going to go into either technical writing or grant writing. I had narrowed down two you know, tracks and I had done all my research and I was talking to mom and I said, I, I'm either going to be a technical writer or a grant writer. I got this. They're both growth industries. You can get certified in like eight months for $2,000. You know, it's great. And she was like, that's nice. Don't do either of those. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, you don't want to do either of those things. I said, I know. (laughs) I really don't want to do either of these things. But I'm like 27 years old. Like, I need a career. I need to figure out what I'm going (laughs) to do when I grow up. I just felt like I was so late to the game of figuring out what I was going to do as a career. And she said, uh, Emma, you just want to save people's stories. Can you just do that? And mm-hmm. I thought, that is such a cool job. No one gets to do that. Like, that that's not a thing. That's like being a unicorn trainer, you know? Like, <laughs> no one gets to just save people's stories as a career. So I started Googling it and just calling memoir writers. And turns out this is a thing that people do. And so that was about five years ago that I discovered this was a thing. And I've just been educating myself and practicing and taking baby steps and getting into this career. It's, it's really an amazing career and more people should do it. The key words that I heard you saying there, Emma, were get to do, where you say you get to save people's stories versus when you were talking about the technical writing, have to do. Mm, <laughs> big, yeah. big difference there. Very have big. to versus get to. And I realized that there are a lot of people who have to do a certain type of writing because that's what pays the bills. Mm -hmm. However, it sounds as if you are kind of forging new 
paths, new territory here, and are finding a lucrative way of earning a living through something that you get to do, which is super cool. We're going to shift gears a little bit here because we want to provide for you listeners some really good takeaways about biographies. What we're going to be talking about is the bio that you use, the short bio that you use on your website, on your social media channels, and in other marketing materials. And Emma just happens to be an expert on helping people to write their bios. And so we thought that we would give you the dreaded bio. Yes. We thought we would give you some tips about that here in the second portion of the podcast. So Emma, what is the number one mistake that you see people making in their bio? When someone writes a bio, they want to know you. I just cringe when I read these bios that tell me nothing about the person. We really get hung up in buzzwords and we get hung up in lots of things and we're overwhelmed and we want to make everybody happy. And so we end up becoming just this thing uh, without any real identifiers. Um, so when I read your bio, if I don't have, if, if your name is erased, I should be able to say, oh, that's totally Laura Christensen. Mm. That who's, I who like this that. bio is talking about. So you should be able to put your bio out out into the world and your friends and your family would read it and go, oh, I know who this is talking about. This is totally her. People want to do business with a person. They don't want to do business mm -hmm. with, a, with a business. They don't want to do it with a machine. They want to do it with a person. And so they should feel like they're meeting you when they read your bio. In the work that I do in building websites for people, I spend a lot of time working with each of my clients on the bio or the about page copy that will go on their website, which is kind of an extended bio. I see that same mistake a lot, too, where they're either written in the third person, more sounding like a resume, which isn't necessarily bad because you probably do want to have a bio on your website or at least a small part of your bio that's written in the third person. And especially if you do speaking and mm -hmm. somebody's going to be introducing you at a speaking event, they're going to read that third person bio. Mm -hmm. In the case of most authors, and you and I can debate this, but <laughs> in the case of most authors, the writer is the brand. They are the face of the brand. Yeah. And so when I work with writers, I encourage them to write their bio from the first person point of view, because I think that that helps people who visit their website, their readers, to feel an instant connection with them and to view them as a person and not just this kind of standoffish, here's this, here's everything you need to know about this author. Mm -hmm. Would you agree or disagree with that? I actually always tell people to write it in a third person. And it's sort of like, you know, when a book is written in past tense, you can still put someone in the moment, even though it's written in past tense instead of present mm -hmm. tense. Present tense can be sort of jarring. But the reason why I tell people to write it in the third person doesn't have to do with people getting to know you. It has to do with being able to brag about yourself. This is where mm -hmm. uh, people get hung up is because they don't want to sound like they're talking about themselves. They don't want to sound self-important. And so they end up leaving out a lot of the things that make them special. And so if you just say... Emma is a biographer who's amazing and she does all these things and she's worked with all these people and she's blah, 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 blah. It suddenly gives you free range to tell people what it is that makes you different and makes you special without sounding 
it, it's like a friend introducing you. But I see the point in having a first person one. And I think it would be wise for people to have one in either one because tweaking mm -hmm. your bio is being able to tweak your bio for where it's going to appear is a practice I think that everyone should should have. Okay, so I think we could agree that it would probably be a good idea if you're working on writing your bio to do two different versions of it. One in the third person, which would sound as if a friend is introducing you or talking about you. And that way you can put in the things that make you special and different and unique without feeling as if you're being too pompous or too self-promotional. Mm -hmm. Once you have that, you could translate that into a first-person bio where it's very conversational. I'm introducing myself to you. So it's just two different perspectives or two different ways of looking at it. But the key here, if my name was taken out of my bio you could read my bio and you would still recognize that it's me. Mm -hmm. I yeah. love that point. Okay, so what are some things that people can do to help take their bio to the next level? My three power-ups that I always include in a bio, you should identify your ideal client in five words or less. I help homeschool parents. I help people who have recently retired. I help someone who just lost a pet. And it should be broad enough that people who actually find you are going to identify who it is. But it, it should be narrow enough also that whoever is reading it can think of someone that they know who is your ideal client. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can kind of play with how broad or how narrow it is. And people who aren't your ideal client are probably still going to contact you if they like your work, if they like what you do. But this is how you really get those clients that are your favorites to work with. And just call them out and say, this is the person that I help. The second power up is talking about what it is that you do, not what everyone who has your title does. Mm -hmm. So in my workshop that I do on this, I use like a dentist as an example. If someone says, I'm a dentist and I help people to maintain their oral health. Congratulations. You've just told us what every dentist does. And odds are, if someone's reading your bio, they already know what every dentist does. If you specialize in people who've had a lot of dental work done and they've got a lot of caps and crowns and things like that. If you specialize on kids dentistry, you're going to talk about what it is that you do that not everybody does who has your title and specifically the result that you provide for people. So um, I work with uh, families who have kids so that their kids enjoy going to the dentist. Make sure that when if you're going to tell people what you do, make sure you're just telling them what you do, not what everybody does. So the third one, and this one is a little bit risky. This one might take some people some time, but you need to list a conviction that you have about the work that you do. And it's okay if it's something that some people would disagree with you on. Again, returning to the example of the dentist, maybe it's someone who says, I believe that you can get your teeth just as clean if you brush them long enough even if you don't use toothpaste. I believe that if you have a history of heart disease in your family, you need to be seeing me every other month, not every six months. It makes them question what they thought they knew about you, about what you do. Because right now, when they maybe think that, they've, that they understand you, 
And you want to make them think again. You want to make them think that you've got something to tell them that they've never heard before. But also it shows people that you take your work very seriously and that you have convictions about what you do. So those are the three. Identify your ideal client in five words or less. Tell people the result that you give that not everybody gives and list a conviction that you have about Mm -hmm. your work. I love what you're saying. Identify your, number one, identify your ideal client or what I call your ideal target audience, your ideal target reader, your customer avatar. It's called all sorts of different things, but they all mean the same thing. It's that person who is a great fit for you and you're a great fit for them. So be able to describe who that person is in five words or less. And I just want to throw in here that if listeners, if you are going, oh, wow, I have no idea how to do that, how to even go about starting that. I have a low cost under $10 audio training called Find Your Ideal Target Audience that walks you through step by step how to identify who this person is. And so that would be the first step in creating your bio is being able to identify that person in five words or less. And then number two, you said to identify what you do, not what everybody else who has your title does, which is great because so many of us, when we're at a a social gathering, you'll say, oh, what do you do? I'm a writer. But when you're at a writer's conference, like 100% of the people say that. (laughs) And so I call that identifying your superpower. Uh, What is it that makes you unique as a writer? What makes you stand out? In thinking about myself, and I did this on my my own about page and my homepage as I was reworking the copy and revamping my brand recently, where I said, what is it that makes me unique? I mean, tons and tons of people are out there that help people with their online marketing, help people to improve their websites and their blogs and their email marketing. There's thousands of people that do that. So what's my superpower within that niche. Well, for me, my superpower is number one, I work mostly with writers or authors or people in writing related businesses. So that narrows it down a little bit more. Many of my clients tend to be people who write from a Christian worldview. So that narrows it down a notch more. And without exception, every single one of the ideal clients that I work with struggles with technology. And so they need someone to hold their hand and equip them to deal with these challenging tech issues in a way that doesn't feel to them as if they're being talked down to. Mm. And that's my superpower. I, I think I have a knack of conveying technical information in a way that non-techie writers who write from a Christian worldview can understand. So mm-hmm. that's not five words or less, but... <laughs> But if someone's reading your bio, they can either say, that's me, or I know someone who that is. You know, if you you say something general, like I help people, no one reads that and goes, that's me. I'm a people, you know, like people talking about me because she helps people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then your number three point was to be sure to share a conviction that you have about the work that you do. So don't be afraid to go out on a limb there and to do something that really makes people think. And that again, sets you apart from 10,000 other people who are in 
your same niche or your same industry. So I absolutely love those, Emma. Those are just right on target with helping to make your bio the best that it can possibly be. Now, let's wrap up by talking about where are some places that you recommend that people showcase their bio. Obviously, they're going to put it on their website, on the about page on their website. But where else would you recommend that people put their bio? Somebody showed me this a couple years ago, and it's so simple and it's so brilliant that I tell it to everybody. On Facebook, if you're on Facebook and most people have their author page on Facebook, you have that cover image at the top. When you click on that cover image, and a lot of people do, they want to see it bigger. They want to, they want to make the words bigger if you've got your website listed there. So they click on that. It makes it big. And on the right-hand side, there's a description. That description right. box is almost always empty. Empty. Yep. <laughs> you need to put your bio there yes. with a call to action and a link so that people don't even have to type your website in anywhere. So you are just going to put, here's my bio, and then work with me, and then the link to your website. Yes. And that just and makes it really easy for people to see who you are and go straight over to where you want them to be. Love it. And the key there, I think, in addition to you know who you are, what you do, your short bio, always put the link to your website in there. I see so many Facebook cover graphics that when you do click on them to see the description, they will have a bio or some sort of information in them, but they don't always have the website there. Make sure that you put that in there. Yes. And if it's if your website's long or if you're if you're giving sending them to a, like a landing page that's got mm -hmm. some long thing, you can shorten the link so that it's not this big thing, you know, use Bitly or something like that to shorten it. Right. And don't say if you want to work with me, just say find out more or click yep. here or you know, work with me so that people know oh, what they're yeah. getting when they click on that link. And that is such a subtle distinction, but it's such an important one because you said if you want to work with me, and I see that, I see a lot of people do that on their websites and their Facebook pages where they're kind of like, oh, I don't want to be too salesy. I want to be polite. So I'll put if you want to. What works much better is just to put a strong, inviting call to action, mm -hmm. like click here for more information or hey, head on over and learn more or whatever. It has a different tone than if you want to. Yeah. I, I love get started because almost everyone is ready to start writing their story. 90% of Americans say that they have a story inside them. They just can't figure how to get it out and they just don't know where to start. And so mine is get started because that works the best for what people are feeling when they land on my website. The other thing that people can do when we're talking about the Facebook cover graphic, if you have a Facebook page, and I'm talking about a difference between a business page or a brand page or what some people call an author page, as opposed to your personal Facebook profile, if you have a page below that cover graphic, and you were talking about you can click on the graphic itself, and then there's a place to enter a description there. You want to make sure you do that. But right below that, there's a button on Facebook that you can customize, and you can also customize the to a certain extent, the call to action that, in other words, the text that appears on top of the button, it can say something like learn more, get started, book a call. There's all sorts of different calls to action that you can choose from for those buttons. But you want to create that button and customize it and have that link to somewhere else, a page on your website, your about page, a freebie that you're giving away, a blog post, wherever you want it to go. But give people 
something to do and a place where they can go outside of Facebook, your home base on the web, which should be your website, where they can learn more about you. So mm -hmm. I love that. Use the get started. That's a get started is really good. It's a great call to action. Learn more is another one that's considered very inviting, but not off-putting. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Emma, for that fantastic information. Is there anything else that you would like to say about writing your bio that we could take away with us today? Don't be overwhelmed. It's not your driver's license picture. It can be tweaked at any time. <laughs> you know, it's okay if it's not great. Done is better than perfect when it comes to bios. If it feels hard to write your bio, this is just for anyone listening right now who is going to leave here and they're going to go start working on their bio and two hours later, they're going to have three words. If it feels hard, it is. It just is. It's very, very hard. You're not doing it wrong if it feels very hard. I am the queen of bio writing. And last night, it took me two hours to rewrite my bio. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. So it, it just does. It takes work. It takes time. It takes tweaking. And no matter what you end up with, you will tweak it later. It's important, but don't worry about it. It's always a work in process. I have labored over my bio many, many, many hours, and it's always getting tweaked. So I think that's great advice. Don't expect that you're going to have a perfect bio written in five minutes or less. Five hours, 50 hours, <laughs> however long it takes you. Hopefully, but done hopefully, is better than perfect. Yeah, hopefully these tips will pare down the amount of time you have to spend on your bio. Thank you, Emma, the Life Storian, for joining us today for the Professional Writer Podcast. It has been such a pleasure talking with you and getting these great tips for bio writing. Well, the pleasure is mine. Thank you for letting me share my knowledge. And listeners, if you're enjoying the show, I invite you to share it with a friend. You can also subscribe to the show from your favorite podcast listening app or head over to bloggingbistro.com and subscribe there. And I'll send you an email notification every time a new episode comes out, which is every Monday morning. And at my website, you'll also find a link to join the Professional Writer Podcast Community Facebook group. Emma, you're in that group. Mm -hmm. If you have any questions about bio writing, or you would like to get to know Emma a little bit more, you can just jump into the group and Emma will respond to your question. And then you also have a website, which is thelifestorian.com. And I will put a link to that in the show notes. Thanks listeners for joining Emma and me today for the Professional Writer Podcast. And we will talk with you again next week.